Would you please turn with me in your study outlines? As you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are with us as we continue our series that we started last Sunday entitled Being a Person of Purpose. And we're going to pivot now in the month of April to this uh, character study on Elisha. And he is like a great example uh, for us of being a person of purpose because he's not known for his extraordinary talent. He's instead known for his extraordinary relationship with an extraordinary God, which made him a person of purpose. So it's not great talents. It's not great abilities. It's having that commitment to Christ. That's what makes us a person of destiny, a person of purpose. Number one, God called Elisha to be a prophet to Israel. Now, if we put the map up there, this is during what we call the divided kingdom part of Israel's history, kind of like our civil war period where we were divided between the north and the south. And the south Judah was kind of a roller coaster ride. It was alternating good king, bad king, good king, bad king. They'd follow God for a while, then they wouldn't follow God, then they would follow God. But at least half the time, they were kind of uh, following after God. That's where some of the more famous prophets come from, like Isaiah or Jeremiah. Now, the north, very, very difficult, what was called Israel at that time in the northern kingdom, all bad kings, all kings who led the people astray into idol worship and turned their backs on God. And into that context come Elijah and Elisha. They are called to the more difficult assignment of ministering to the northern kingdom called Israel. Elijah was a prophet from 875 to 848 B.C. for 27 years. Elisha from 848 to 797 B.C., a period of 51 years. Now, in 1 Kings 19, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, because it's about how to deal with discouragement. And I just feel that one of Satan's favorite tools is discouragement. He loves to discourage uh, followers when they're, of Christ when they're fulfilling their purpose for him. And so in that passage, God does several things to help him overcome his discouragement. And one of them is to give him somebody to mentor. And that person is Elisha, who becomes what I call a partner in purpose. That's why our mission statement says that we have our purpose in Christ, but we do it in community. We partner with each other for purpose, and that's what enables us to carry on during the journey. That's what gives us sustainability in fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. We find it in Christ, but then we uh, encourage each other in community, and we do it for the journey. That's why Jesus sent people, the disciples out two by two. That's why Barnabas always took, uh, Paul always took Barnabas, and why later he took Silas, because we do better two by two. I remember when I first started as a pastor, I was 24 years old. I was single. Kimberly had not come along yet. And I'm in the middle of this very rural place up near uh, Canada, the Canadian border in upstate New York, very rural, a church uh, mainly of dairy farmers. And, you know, I loved being a pastor from the minute I started. I just love, I've loved every minute of it, just moment by moment, loved it. But I tell you, when life really came alive for me is when we hired an associate pastor. What happened was the church grew, and I still remember the business meeting with all these farmers there, and I still remember the speech of one of this elderly farmer. This old farmer gets up, and he goes, you know, when I got 100 cows, I can handle it. When I get myself another 100 cows, I got to hire help. We got ourselves here another hundred cows. We need to hire help. And they all voted for it. That, that was the speech that carried the day. And so we got an associate pastor. His name was Brett Ryder. And oh man, we just completely clicked. We love ministry. We, we love sports. I mean, we just really clicked at every level. And then ministry became so fun. And then when I came here to our church and all the wonderful pastors and being part of this team, it was, it was just wonderful because we, we try to, what we do is we try to find a person in our life 
that is what I call a partner in purpose. Somebody who has, is wired similar to us, who shares the purpose, who shares the vision, and together you work that out. And that's what Elisha was for Elijah. Number two, Elisha was irrevocably committed to God's calling. That was the key. Wasn't the most talented guy, but he was committed to God's calling. Verse 19, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing. This was a farm boy. He wasn't trained as a speaker. He wasn't highly educated. He was a farmer. He was a plow boy, a farmhand with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now your coat or your cloak was a big deal back then. It was your bed that you slept in many times at night out in the outdoors. Uh, you, could, you could sell it for a debt. You could trade it for a debt that you owed. You, you would tear it in two to show your grief when something bad happened within your life. And another thing that would happen is, Elisha would know this. When Elijah took his cloak and put it on his shoulders, that was a sign I will mentor you. I take you under my mentorship. I will train you in being a prophet. Now, this is what's really cool. He, he, he kills the oxen that he's plowing with, and he throws a big farewell party for all of his family and friends before he leaves to be trained by Elijah. But notice this at the end of verse 21. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Boy, that's what I tell, talk about no turning back. Burn the plowing equipment. I mean, he goes further than the disciples go. I mean, when it says that when they came to follow Jesus, they left their nets and their fishing boats and followed Jesus, but they never burned them. And it's interesting that after the resurrection, they hit a point of discouragement. And what does Peter say to the other disciples? Let's go fishing. You know, let's go back. And they were there because they hadn't burned them. But Elisha could never do that. He could never say, you know what? This whole prophet thing is not working out. I think I'll go back to plowing. He burned the plow. It, it's gone. And it's just a great sign that he was just all in. Um, Historians tell us that Cortez, when he came to the New World, unloaded his young soldiers from Spain, thousands of miles away from home. And then he would burn the ships in the harbor. And these young men would stand there on shore, realizing there was no turning back. They couldn't go home to mom and dad. They couldn't go back to their family. They had to fight because it was only a full speed ahead. They could never return. And the same thing is true today. I always say, when you get married, burn the ships in the harbor. Uh, Make that commitment. Say, you know what? I am committed to this person. I don't have a ship that can go back to mom and dad. I don't have a ship that can return to my old life. When I get married, I burn the ships in the harbor, and it's, it's full speed ahead. And that's what Elisha did. He burned the plowing equipment. Number three, Elisha was more than willing to become a servant. It says in verse 21, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And we know that to be a period of six years he was his servant. Uh, He's described in 2 Kings chapter 3. It says, oh, Elisha, he's the guy that used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He was a servant, pour water on his hands. That means he helped him wash his hands. That's what he was known for. For six years, he didn't do any great speeches, no great prophecies, never wrote any books of the Bible, never had any great acts of leadership. What did he do? He helped Elijah wash do things like wash his hands. That's what he did as a servant for six years. One of my favorite passages on leadership is Psalm 79. It says that he, God, chose David, who ended up being one of the greatest leaders in all of human history, his servant, and took him from the, what are the next two words? You tell me. Sheep pets. God looks over the earth, and he says, where's the best training grounds for a great leader? 
Where will I find this great leader to lead my people and to form the nation of Israel? Is there anything smellier than a sheep pen? Is there anything dirtier than a sheep pen? Where did God look? He looked in the sheep pen. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, and Israel, his inheritance. And and David shepherded them with integrity of heart. Great combination. He had integrity, character, and skillful hands. He was good at what he did, skillful hands, and he had integrity. Combine that with a servant's heart, and that is a great triad uh, for being used by God in leadership. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You know, one of the things I love about the whole Fairplex and Easter weekend is just watching the whole church like mobilized. And some people are tearing up and some people are setting down and, and some people are handing out bags and some are giving them to children and, and some are greeting people and, and the people that are attending are looking around for others that maybe feel lost and are, and are sharing love with them and some people are inviting and some people are praying. You know, we'll get to heaven and find out who are the prayer people that kept the rain away for 17 years. You know, we don't know who they are, but it's like everybody mobilized doing their thing. When you go to the the venue in Claremont, you see the same thing. I mean, one of the great things about a new satellite or plant is that there's all these new opportunities to serve. And you'll see that there. At the hangar in Montana, when I preach there, it's great. You see all the people get together and they push the airplane out of the hangar. And then they set up for the service and have the service and then they have a meal. And then after they clean up after the meal, they all get together and push the airplane back into the hangar once again. And it's just that whole thing about serving quietly behind uh, the scenes. Charles Spurgeon writes, it is not great talents that God blesses, but people who are willing to be wholly used by him. It's not great talent that God blesses, but it's people who are willing to wholly be used by him. J.R. Tolkien, and when he wrote, um, in, I guess it was The Hobbit in the 1920s and then The Lord of the Rings in the 1940s, um, he, 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 The Hobbit is this short little creature. They call him a halfling, about half the size of a, human, of a regular man or woman. And he's not a great warrior, not very strong, not very skilled at warfare. And yet the key thing about a hobbit is that they are committed to the cause. They have perseverance. They don't have great talents, but they are willing to be wholly used. They're, they're willing to, to hang in there and to persevere. And so the hero of these are not the great warriors and not the skilled horsemen, but it is these hobbits. Number four, Elisha loved the man that he served. Next page of your study outline. Now we get into a burst of the miraculous in scriptures. You know, we have this impression that in Bible times, every other day was some amazing miracle. Not true. There were kind of bursts of miracle, but they were separated by hundreds, sometimes even thousands of years. And it was usually at the beginning of something God was doing new to confirm that it was of God. And so you'll see a burst of miracles in Genesis and Exodus as uh, the new uh, nation of Israel is being formed. You'll see that later on in Joshua and Judges, this burst of miracles, uh, somewhat in the life of David as well. And now you see this burst of the miraculous during the time of Elijah and Elisha because it's confirming the prophetic age. And then, of course, with the life of Jesus in the early church as well. And you'll particularly see it even today. Missionaries tell us that where the gospel has first gone to, 
that's when you see the more dramatic miraculous. You see people raised from the dead. You see, now don't get me wrong, I believe God still does miracles today. And we're going to talk about that, and that's going to be a theme of our series. But these uh, amazing miracles, these, these huge, spectacular miracles, he tends to do when his word is first being confirmed, even today in a new culture. And then once the scriptures are established in that culture, then you don't see that quite as much as you did before. So there's this burst of the miraculous that happens here, starting at the end of or part of Elijah's life and into Elisha's life. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were sent on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. Now, Bible scholars uh, uh, debate about what does he mean by telling him he can't go. And this is repeated three different times. Some say it's a test to see if he'll persevere. Uh, some see that they say he wants to spare him from the pain and the heartbreak of being separated from him when he's taken to heaven. Uh, some say he just doesn't want to show off because Elijah had one of the more spectacular send-offs of anybody in human history. And so he just doesn't want to show off. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. He wants every moment with him that he can before he's got to carry on the ministry when Elijah goes to heaven. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha. Now, whenever you see this phrase, company of the prophets, that's kind of like a seminary. It's a group of pastors in training. And so what Elijah is doing is he's visiting all the seminaries to make sure they're running well before he goes back to heaven because he knows that these are the prophets that will carry on his ministry once he's gone. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know what the Lord, that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Shh, don't say anything about it. He can't bear the thought. And this is repeated three different times. Finally, down in verse 8, Elijah took his cloak. Elijah and Elisha are standing on the shores of the, of the Jordan River, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. This is similar to what happened with Moses and as they left Egypt into the wilderness uh, across the Red Sea. As a matter of fact, we have a, a picture of Moses as he was a child being bathed by his mother there, and you can uh, see Moses in the first years. It's... Um, it's what happened with Joshua when they went from the wilderness into the promised land. Uh, the, the Jordan was opened up in that way. It's, it's a picture of baptism. Whenever God does something new with his people, he does something dramatic as they move from the old to the new. And that's what baptism is. I always say in, in baptism class, I, I always wonder, God, why being dunked in water in front of other people? Well, it's something you remember. It's dramatic. And in the same way, the baptismal waters are divided when you go down and when you come back up. It, it's connected with the dividing of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan, both of Elijah and later Elisha, and also with Joshua as well. It's saying, This is my old life, and through the waters of baptism, I move on to my new life. And again, if you'd like to just find out more of what the Bible teaches on it, no obligation whatsoever, but next Sunday, a free lunch and, and share what the Bible teaches about baptism with our starting point class, and uh, we would love to share that with you and no obligation whatsoever. Just gives you more information to figure out what God wants you to do. And then number five, Elisha wasn't the least bit reluctant to ask for a big blessing. Now, sometimes we think it's arrogant or presumptuous to ask God for a big blessing. Well, it is if we want to be blessed just to be blessed because we're so awesome. But instead, if we ask for a blessing to be a blessing, we are blessed to be a blessing. There's nothing wrong with that. And the bolder, the better. 
Verse 9, when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, okay, he stuck with them through these three times. Leave, no, leave, no, leave, no. Okay, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? He wants to make sure the ministry will go on after he leaves. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Now, Bible scholars say that this doesn't necessarily mean he's asking for double the power. Uh, What it refers to is in Deuteronomy, it talks about a custom of that time that the firstborn son got a double portion of the inheritance from the other sons. And so really what he's saying is, let me carry on the family business of being a prophet. Let, let me continue your ministry. And so many Bible scholars believe that's what he's really saying here. But you know, I find it interesting. I think there is something to this double blessing thing for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you count up the number of miracles that Elisha did, they're double the number that Elijah did. And if you look, I didn't even think about that until the 830 service preaching through this. Look at the length of time that they served. It's almost double. Elisha, 51 years. Elijah, 27 years. And another thing I think is don't you always hope that the person that you mentor will go beyond you? I mean, don't you hope that with your children as parents? Don't you always hope that your children will exceed what you've done in life? I mean, I think of my son, John, who went and found his birth family in in Colombia, in this backwoods little tiny town in the middle of nowhere in Colombia, South America, and had a chance to lead a bunch of them to Christ. I, I could never have pulled that off. My son John and my daughter Rebecca are so much bolder in one-on-one sharing of Christ than I'll ever be. Um, I think my son uh, John Andrew, who's an air traffic controller, I would be a lousy air traffic controller. I mean, I would get on the radio to the pilots and say, just look out the window and try to avoid each other. That, that, that's all I got. That's all I got. Um, uh, My daughter works with the federal budget. I don't understand the first thing about that. I think we're spending more than we're taking in. I've I've picked up on that. And so that would be a piece of advice that I would give. You know, don't spend what you don't have. There's a good starting place. But, you know, I don't begin to understand the intricacies of the, of the federal budget. And so, so there's this sense, I mean, even with the people at work that you mentor, that you train, don't you hope, I mean, I never want to be like Saul with David. Who, who was jealous of David's abilities. And it's so stupid, because if he had just affirmed David, David would have enhanced the kingship of King Saul. But instead, he gets into this whole jealous thing, and it ends up destroying himself uh, because of that. I want the people I mentor to go beyond me and things like April Fool's jokes and others, uh, significant things like that. I mean, I rejoice when Pastor Brian, who was just up here last week, spoke the whole week to a thousand high schoolers and young adults uh, down in, in Mexico. I rejoice in that. Uh, Pastor Lisa's got a huge, great book deal to publish her, her next book. And, and you know, I, re- I rejoice in that. I heard a great one a couple of weeks ago. Chris Brown, remember Chris, who was our youth pastor, high school pastor years ago? He calls me up. He says, Glenn, I want you to be one of the first to know this he appreciates his time here. You as a church, I believe that churches make pastors as much as pastors make churches. I really do. And I believe that churches equip leaders. And this church, through its 143 years, has just scattered leadership all across Southern California, the nation, and the world. And Chris called me up and he said, hey, Glenn, I just want you to be one of the first to know this. Uh, This may not mean much to you, but he got asked to speak at the Willow Creek Global Leadership Summit. Now, let me just share with you what that means. 150,000 people in 300 cities around the world translated into 23 languages. 
It means that the docket for speakers this year is going to be Colin Powell, Andy Stanley, and Chris Brown. That's what that means. And I was just like, oh, Chris. I put the phone down just like, yes, that is awesome. And so there's the sense in which we want the people that we mentor to have a double blessing and effectiveness uh, above and beyond what we, um, what we have had. And so I think that's part of what's going on here um, uh, as well. And we should ask for that double portion. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, because it's not up to Elijah to give. It's up to God to give. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it'll be yours. Otherwise, it won't. Reminds me of Jabez, that little diamond in the middle of that chronology in First Chronicles chapter 4. It says, he cried out to God, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. And it says that God granted his request. And God gave Elisha a big blessing. Verse 11, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father. He was brokenhearted to see him go. He loved him as a spiritual dad. The chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Israel's real defense was not their chariots and their horsemen. It was the godly preaching of Elijah. And let us never be mistaken that our real defense as a nation is not our military, as wonderful as that is, but it is the godliness of our people. And as that slides and slips, we become more vulnerable. Does anybody want to say amen to that? We do. And so he says, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and he tore it in two. This is the cloak, his own cloak. He tore it in two. Then he picks up the cloak that Elijah had dropped. Remember, this is the same cloak that Elijah had put over his shoulders to show that he was going to mentor him. Uh, Giovanni, who's a great Italian artist from the early 1700s, he, he portrayed it beautifully in this particular way. He takes the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, goes back to the Jordan River, he strikes the water with it, and he cries out, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Did, did God leave with Elijah? Does, is he not going to bless us now? Are those days in the past? Is, is the same God that did the miracles back then, is that same God alive today? And as he strikes the water, once again, the water divides to the right and to the left, and he crosses over. Company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And then number seven, God doesn't want spiritual matters to be mocked. I put this in there because it's my favorite passage in the Bible. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy. Get out of here. So he turns around and six, two bears come out and maul the 42 boys. Yes, that is a beautiful story. <laughs> Warns those of you who mock baldness, mock baldness, don't do that. You know, God gets very angry at making fun of people that are, that, that are bald. Now, you know, in all seriousness, there is a serious point to this. There is. And, and actually, Christians have been somewhat embarrassed by this passage down through the years. Uh, there is a way to put it in context, and that is this Hebrew word here for boys really uh, can mean more like young adults, like young adult men. You've got to remember that they were in Bethel, which was a center for Satan worship at that time. It was a center uh, for the occult and for the worship of Satan. So think gang members from a satanic cult town rather than little um, innocent boys in this. And then the bears, the Hebrew word used there did not kill them. It just roughed them up a little bit. 
But you know what? Don't let me water it down too much. Because there's an important point here. And that is in the same way when God is establishing something new, there are dramatic miracles for the good. You know, healings and, and things like that. There are also very outward radical miracles of judgment to show people that God's serious. I mean, Uzzah, as they're taking the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, steadies it, struck dead. You're like, wow, that's kind of harsh. Well, God wanted to make a point because he was starting something new. Ananias and Sapphira um, lie to God on their giving record, okay? Both of them struck dead. And you go, wow, that's kind of harsh. Well, God was starting something new. And so when God starts something new, he does dramatic things positively, but he also does dramatic acts of judgment as well. Now, three questions. Question number one, what has God called you to do with your life? There's our general purpose in which Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That's our general purpose. But then we have a specific purpose. Uh, Paul writes, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Now, what is that task that specific assignment, that specific purpose that he's given you. Maybe it's not to be a prophet like Elisha, but to be a mom, to be a teacher, to be a nurse, to be a mechanic, to be a, a contractor, to be a, a, a business person. What is that particular cause, that particular thing? Or maybe it's your oikos. I always say part of your purpose is to take the 8 to 15, the Greek word for household and your sphere of influence, take them with you to heaven. What is that task you need to complete that Jesus has given to you. Now, as we close off, I want to just share a, a brief interview that uh, Tomiko, that Pastor Brian was talking about earlier, one of our pastors, had on local television for three reasons. Number one, it talks about the movie that's going to be Tuesday night. Number two, it, it talks about the subject of our Easter offering, uh, anything we mark on our envelopes or on our check Easter. You'll see that on page five, the next page from your study outline, just lower part of page five. And, and so it, it talks about that issue that our church is involved in. But the, the, the main reason I want to show this as a closing example of what we've talked about, kind of a modern-day Elisha example, is if you've met Tomiko, she does many different areas of service here at our church and leadership. But her real hot-button passion is human trafficking. And it's, it oozes out whenever she talks. And, and I just want to share, and she gathers people of purpose around her in community to fight this thing together. And I just want to use it as kind of a modern-day closing example of Elisha as we finish off. Let's watch this together. Welcome to Time Water Cable's Local Edition. I'm Brad Pomerantz. Our guest, Tamika Chacon. I am completely taken by her and the work that she is engaging in. She is a pastor of social justice at the Pomona First Baptist Church, and she directs a program called Traffic Free Pomona. Tell us about the program, Tamika. Yeah, Traffic Free Pomona is a faith-based community group that we started out of our church to eradicate human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation of children in our city. And let's talk about that because that topic, that horrible act was in the news a lot in November Mm -hmm. because there was a proposition on the ballot that addressed human trafficking. You know, we're in the Los Angeles area. We wouldn't think that that issue would impact us in L.A. or California, but you know it does. It does. Tell me about it. Yes. Um, Well, actually, Los Angeles is one of the top three destination points for international victims of human trafficking. I couldn't believe it when I learned it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, domestic victims, uh, children, teenage girls are trafficked into the commercial sex trade every year. There are about 100,000 children that are being commercially sexually exploited every year. And what's interesting is they are trafficked internationally, uh-huh. but it's also happening domestically. Yes. It's not just women being yeah. flown in, girls being flown yes. in. It's runaways. Yes. It's children at risk. Yeah. It's children in Pomona, in the Inland Empire, absolutely. in the San Gabriel Valley, in yes. East Los Angeles. Yes. Absolutely. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, pimps and traffickers target vulnerable girls. Um, they target girls that are runaways. They say a runaway is approached by a pimp within 48 hours of running away. Stunning. So they know and devastating. They know exactly where to look for these young girls, um, and the majority of women who are in the sex industry were sexually exploited, sexually abused at a young age. So mm-hmm. it seems that pimps and traffickers know exactly who to look for those that are vulnerable. When I think about Pomona, I know you know it's a wonderful community. It has some well-heeled areas, some less um, economically advantaged areas. I wouldn't think we would need to start a, a program called Traffic Free Pomona, mm-hmm. but yet. You need to. Yes. In fact, we're actually a city that's known um, for where you can come and buy sex. Um, there, are, um, there are tracks, that's what they call them, places where they bring the girls um, and sell them for sex right down the street from where our church is located, actually. Um, in fact, there are members of our church who've experienced this firsthand. We have a member of our community, church community that was working with a vulnerable girl at a girl's home, and she was lured out. Um, she ran away with another girl um, who trafficked her with a pimp into another state. So what are you doing to address? this problem yeah well we are a raising awareness about it you're here today yes through uh workshops through worship services at our church Mm -hmm. through film screenings and tell me about the screening we can't forget that april 9th at the lemley claremont yes at the lemley claremont 7 p.m april 9th we're going to screen a documentary called not my life which is uh, narrated by glenn close which is an excellent documentary film um, that addresses both the global and the domestic um, aspects of human trafficking how can we get tickets what should we do? How can, can we find to, you? You can go to our website, which is trafficfreepomona.org. It has all the information there. And what does it mean to you that you've been able to do this for the girls and women of, of this area? Oh, well, it just, when I think of a, a young girl who was abused as a child and then sexually exploited, um, even from the age of 11 or 12 years old, and then to, to be able to help them. Thank you so much for joining world. us. Her name is Tamika Chacon. My name is Brad Pomerts. Thanks for watching Time Warner Cable's Local Edition. That interviewer needs a little less fair trade chalk coffee, doesn't he? He's worse than I am, I think. Two closing questions. Number two, do you believe that God can do things through you that are beyond the reasonable and the expected? And number three, are you trying to attempt anything in your life that requires God to show up? Second Chronicles 16, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And there's a little blank there at the end. You've got a little bit of space there. And what I want you to do, maybe this afternoon, get alone with God, listen to those whispers we talked about last month, and write down one thing that is beyond the reasonable and the expected. One thing where God would have to show up for that thing to get done. Maybe it's a relational hurt that's happened, a marriage that's in tough shape. Uh, Maybe it's a person that you want to share Christ with or a child that that you have a rift with in your relationship. I don't know what it is, but what's one thing that God would have to show up? 
It's beyond the reasonable and the expected. He would have to show up in order for that thing to be done. And let's think about that right now as we stand for our closing benediction. I want to close with Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. And we're thinking now about that one thing where God would have to show up. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.